It's good to see you all. If you're new with us, welcome. It's good to have you here this morning. Just to let you know, we're uh, working our way through Philippians here at Calvary on Sunday morning, but we put that on hold for a month to do a special series that God just laid in my heart one day, and all of a sudden he's given me points and illustrations, and I'm like, what? And then he said, okay, I'll keep it tucked away for a future time when he wants me to use it. And... Um, he said, do it this Sunday. So we're, but that was four weeks ago. We're, we're going to finish up this special series I've entitled, The Top Ten Lies of the Devil. The Top Ten Lies of the Devil. Now, for the last few weeks, we have been looking at some of Satan's favorite lies. He constantly tries to get people to fall for, starting with number 10, counting down to number 1. Let me review quickly. Number 10. Happiness will be yours when you own, achieve, or experience blank. So, you know, the devil tells people you're going to be happy when you own a home or a boat or get that timeshare in Myrtle Beach, whatever. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to be happy when you achieve wealth or finally get that degree uh, or, you know, Achieve your lifelong dream of starting your own business. Or you'll be happy when you experience success or fame if you're in the acting stuff. Uh, or marriage. A lot of people think that they can never be happy until they find that right person. Well, you know, Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a person's life does not consist in all the stuff they own. All right. I paraphrased. Um, all right. Line number nine. God can't exist because there is so much evil and suffering in the world. So, you know, if he was real and a good and loving God, he would never allow it. So he can't exist. Line number eight. There is absolute, excuse me, there is no absolute truth. Whatever a person believes is their truth, and equally valid with all truth sources, including the Bible, because there's no absolute truth, it's all relative. Looked at that. Number seven, you're so bad, God can't love you and wants nothing to do with you. Number six, hell isn't real. It's right here in the earth. This is hell. It's hot down here, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Line number five on his top ten favorite lies. It's too late for you. It's too late for you to receive Jesus, become a Christian, and start living for God. Now he hits the older folks with this one. Okay. Number four. God is an angry God who is looking for any reason to punish you. Number three. And this one he uses on the younger folks. There is no need to hurry to get your life right with God. You have plenty of time. Number two, there are many roads that lead to heaven. Many roads. All right. Well, that leaves us with one more lie we need to look at. The number one lie that Satan deceives the people of this world with. Are you ready? Only good people go to heaven. 
Now, guys, I realize that for some of you, and I had a gentleman first service before service was like, I can't wait to hear this this last one. I can't imagine what you got. It was kind of a letdown. Okay. Look, these are his favorite lies. These are not secrets. These are the ones that are really out there. Okay. But I guess for some, this would be a little anticlimactic, as that in that we've touched on this several times as we've looked at the first nine lies. You have to understand these lies kind of intersect at times. They're not completely standalone. So they're going to intersect. And uh, so we have already kind of looked at this and we touched on it. You say, so why include it? I included it because I still believe that of all the lies Satan has fed the human race, this one is at the very top of his list. Folks, we don't need to just touch on it. We need to focus on it. And that's why I've saved it for last. Why do I believe this is the top lie uh, in Satan's arsenal of lies? I believe it because the groundwork has already been laid. People have already been primed and prepped to receive this lie. All the devil has to do is whisper it in their ears. You say, what are you talking about? All right. Western civilization has been built on what has been called a works righteousness system or foundation. In other words, you know, if you do good works, you know, if you're nice, whatever that means, if you're nice and you help older folks across the street, you don't kick puppies and pull wings off of butterflies, then you're pretty good. And because of it, God will love you and he will bless you. But if you're bad, God won't love you or bless you. Now, guys, this mentality shows up early in the history of mankind. It probably got to start right after Adam and Eve fell. We definitely see it manifested in the pages of the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. That was the whole basis of his friend's arguments with him. Job, don't tell us you're a good guy and you're right with God. If you were a good guy, all this bad stuff wouldn't be happening to you. All this proves that you're living a bad life. Now, we see it way back then. We see it in more modern times. It was manifested in the lives of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Of course, there are Pharisees still around today. Uh, we see it even uh, manifested in the lives of Roman Catholics and Protestant legalists in our time. And this could be expanded to include all religions on the face of the earth because they're all built on a works righteousness foundation. Here's the problem with the mentality that only good people have a chance to make it into heaven. It's a lie that's been tailor-made. Now listen to me. Hear me out. This will become more clear as we go through this. But what's the pro real problem with the mentality that only good people have a chance to make it into heaven? Because it's a lie that has been tailor-made by the devil to keep people out of heaven by deceiving them into thinking they're basically good enough to get into heaven. Let me say it again. Why this lie is so effective is because it's tailor-made by the devil to keep people out of heaven by deceiving them into thinking they're basically good enough to get into heaven. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Pretty much everybody will proclaim each their own goodness. So pretty much everybody thinks they're a good person. Why? Well, because the devil has convinced them, working in tandem 
with the pride in their deceived fallen hearts, Jeremiah 17.9, the devil has convinced them that they are good people. They're good people. So right out of the gate, the devil has deceived people from the very beginning of time into thinking that they're good enough to make it into heaven. Now, those are the folks that are proud enough to think they're good enough. You have a whole other group of people that are always down in themselves. They're always feeling like they're worthless. You know, Satan works on them too. He just, he just ramps up what they already have in their heart. He just whispers in their ears what losers they are. He condemns them, this group. And they're only too willing to accept it because they're always condemning themselves. So what does he tell these people? He tells them that they're so bad God can't love them and doesn't want them in heaven. So with the proud ones, hey, you're good enough to make it into heaven. God's going to be lucky to have you. And with the other group that's always down on themselves, I think God wants a loser like you. Are you kidding me? God can't love you, and he doesn't want anything to do with you. Now look, we've already looked at, and that was lie number seven. We've already looked at that lie, number seven. The lie that some are so bad God wants nothing to do with them. So let's focus the rest of our time on those who think they're good enough to get into heaven. And again, guys, this is without a doubt the biggest lie the devil has ever fed the human race. The lie that you get into heaven by being good, by being moral and religious. Or in other words, that heaven is a, is a reward for deserving people. Folks, that is the lie of religion. The lie of religion. As we said last week, there are really only two religions in the world. The religion of human achievement and the religion of divine accomplishment. Every religion and religious system in the world, apart from Christianity, falls into the category of human achievement. In other words, what we do for God, what we do for God to earn his favor, and if they happen to believe in the God of the Bible, to eventually earn heaven, earn a place in heaven. Only Christianity, which, by the way, is not re really a religion, it's a relationship. All right, we understand that. But only Christianity falls into the category of divine accomplishment in other words what god has done not what we do for him what he's done for us through his son jesus christ to offer us a place in heaven as a gift as we have said it before let me say it again religion is spelled d-o do as in do 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 and maybe someday you'll do enough to earn heaven Whereas Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. As in Jesus' declaration from the cross in John 19.30, it is finished. It is finished. Guys, religion comes from man. It's an expression of his pride. How so? To prove he's good enough to make it into heaven. He's good enough to earn a place. He's so morally superior to most He's a shoo-in, or she's a shoo-in. Religion comes from man and is an expression of his pride, and in that regard, it is man-centered and works-oriented. Christianity comes from God and is Christ-centered and grace-oriented. Grace means salvation isn't something we earn by works. It is a free gift we receive 
by faith. Guys, listen. Trying to add any work or works, no matter how religious or good-intentioned they might be, trying to add any work or works to the completed work of Jesus on Calvary's cross as a way of helping God to earn my salvation is an abomination in the sight of God who will not allow who will not share his glory for the work he has done in purchasing our salvation with anyone. Look, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, as many of you know. And in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, we were taught that religious practices and observances like going to Mass, lighting candles, keeping holy days, praying the rosary, abstaining from certain foods during Lent, and other acts of piety would earn us a place in heaven someday. For centuries, the Roman Catholic Church has taught and still teaches that we must punish ourselves as a way of paying for our sins and thereby lessening our time in purgatory, which is unbiblical and doesn't exist. And so faithful Catholics who buy into this, though, uh, in some parts of the world especially, not in America so much, but in other parts of the world, faithful Catholics at different times during the year. Passion Week is a big one, all right? They will walk barefoot on roads containing sharp rocks while flagellating themselves with whips until their feet and backs are raw and bloody. They do this as a way of earning God's favor and meriting heaven. Guys, this is absolute blasphemy against the completed work of Jesus Christ, who once again said, once again said from the cross, it is finished. It's finished. Listen to the words of Isaiah on the subject. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. Speaking of Jesus, prophesying about his coming. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He, the chastisement for our peace, the peace that we would someday have with God, the chastisement of our, for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. One pastor said one time, he said, if you add one ounce of works to a billion pounds of grace, you negate grace. In other words, if you try to add anything to what Jesus did in purchasing your salvation, if you try to add church services and lighting candles and praying rosaries and whipping yourself or whatever you try to do in the way of piety, pious works, to help earn your salvation, the Bible says, Paul makes it clear in Galatians 5, verses 2 to 4, you actually divorce yourself from Christ. You fall from grace and divorce yourself from the completed work of Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus paid the price on the cross. He said, it is finished. Our salvation was secured. All the price had been paid. And now God is offering the human race a gift of eternal life to Christ. But if a person says, well, you know what? Jesus, can you just kind of move over a little bit in your throne so I can sit down and we can both take credit for my salvation? Because after all, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church all the time. God says, well then, 
you're going to have to get to heaven by your good works. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And God withdraws the offer. What Jesus did in Calvary's cross will do you no good. If you try to offer God in any way, shape, or form human works as a way of helping, quote-unquote, to purchase or earn your salvation, Paul hits this very hard in the book of Galatians chapter 2, and I'm zeroing in on verse 21. Let me paraphrase. Paul said, If human works, rituals, ceremonies, sacrifices, etc. could save us, then Christ died for nothing. I mean, if I could get to heaven by my own good works, why did Jesus have to die? I've told this to Catholics at times, and their eyes go sideways. They've never thought of it. Look, if I could earn my salvation, why didn't Jesus come down and just say that? Hey, guys, I've come from the Father. Here's what he wants me to tell you. you Got to work real hard, you know, go to church all the time, light a lot of candles, don't burn the house down, but light a lot of candles, uh, pray the rosary all the time. Uh, help out in the local food kitchen. And if you do all those good things, you will earn a place in heaven. He didn't say that. He said it's impossible to get there apart from me. As I just said, this is without a doubt the deadliest lie the devil has ever fed the human race. That heaven is only for people who have gone to church their whole lives, who have lived virtuous, moral lives. In other words, heaven is only for good people. Now, can I stop and drop a bombshell on you? Uh, A bombshell revelation, all right? Listen to me. Only good people will get into heaven. Let me say it again. Only good people will get into heaven. Heaven is a place only good people will be allowed to enter into. The problem is that most people define goodness from fallen man's perspective and not from holy God's perspective. Most people come to the conclusion that they are good people and therefore worthy of heaven by looking at others in society. Of course, they can always find people who are worse than they are to compare themselves to. You know, thieves, rapists, murderers, and other assorted miscreants and malcontents. They're out there. You stand next to one of those people, You look like Mother Teresa by comparison. A shining example of virtue and worthiness, right? But you see, the Bible defines goodness as moral perfection. And only God is morally perfect. Which is exactly what Jesus acknowledged in Matthew 19, verse 17, when he said, No one is good but God. Which means everyone else... All of humanity falls into the category of sinners, not good people. You know, the word sin, most of you know already, is, the, is a Greek word that literally means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. It was an archery term for hitting the bullseye on the target. God's word, and I'm thinking of Romans 3.23, says, All have sinned. All have sinned. All have missed the mark. And, of course, the next question is, what does the mark or the bullseye represent? Well, we're not left to guess because Paul goes on to tell us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God, you might be thinking? It's perfection. It's perfection. 
All right, you're thinking, well, yes, but perfection with regard to what exactly? All right, the perfection that Paul is referring to in Romans 3.23 is perfectly keeping God's righteous standard as set forth in his divine law. In the Old Testament, God's law contains 613 commandments. To break any one of them was to miss the mark, sin, and be guilty before God. Um, we're not going to deal with all 613, okay? Uh, let's just limit ourselves to the 10 we're most familiar with, the 10 commandments. Not the 10 suggestions, the 10 commandments. In that regard, being good in the eyes of God means hitting the mark, sinless perfection, all day, every day. It's keeping perfectly all the Ten Commandments of God your entire life without fail. These commandments, I've used the illustration before, let me just bear with me. These commandments, you might think as a, just an illustration, are like, we'll say, the wooden boards that make up the hull of a ship. It doesn't matter if most of the boards are there on, this, on the hull of the ship. If only one is missing or is broken, guess what? That ship is going down. The same is true for the person who tries to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter if they keep most of them. If any commandment is broken even once, that person is sunk. They're condemned. James makes this very clear in his epistle, chapter 2, verse 10. He said, look, all you who are zealous about keeping the law and getting to heaven through the law, you better keep all of it. Because if you violate one commandment, you are guilty of breaking the law. Well, I only broke one. doesn't matter. God sees it as a unit, as a whole. It's all or nothing. If you're going to get to heaven by keeping God's commandments, you're going to keep all of them perfectly your entire life. Because if you don't, the very law that you are looking to to make you righteous is going to be used by God in the day of judgment to pronounce you guilty and send you to hell. That's why Paul said the law is a curse. And we know from the New Testament, God never gave the law to Israel to make people righteous. He gave them the law to show them how they couldn't live a perfect, righteous life in the hopes that after trying and trying and trying to be righteous by keeping these, these laws of God and continually breaking them, they would fall on their face broken and cry out, God, I can't do it. Is there another way by which I can get to heaven? Well, that way stood on the earth 2,000 years ago and declared the night before the cross, I am the way the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And yet when I ask people, maybe you have, if you were to die tonight, would God let you into heaven? And they almost always tell me yes. So I press them a little bit, and I ask them to explain why they believe that. And here's how they respond. Because I'm a good person. I know I'm not perfect, morally speaking, but I still think I'm good enough to get into heaven. They have bought hook, line, and sinker into this number one lie of the devil. They just need to read the Bible. I mean, what 
does God's word have to say on the subject? God's word teaches us very clearly. People say, I know I'm not perfect, morally speaking, but I think I'm still good enough. The Bible is very clear. It tells us that if you're not morally perfect, you're not good enough to get into heaven. And that's why Jesus said to the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, who was a very moral and religious person. He said to him, no one is good but God, because God defines good as moral perfection. Fallen man defines goodness as simply being better than others. And since we can always find someone worse than we are to compare ourselves to, well, we think we're good. We think we're good. But they aren't the standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. And he's perfect. He's perfect. When I stand next to some other human being, I might be a lot better than him or her. That doesn't mean I'm good. I'm just less of a sinner, maybe. But when I stand next to Jesus, well, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, Woe unto me, for I am undone. I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Listen, the argument that people make today, I think I'm good enough, or I'm better than most, is an argument that will not get them into heaven because, listen to me, it's either sinless perfection or eternal rejection in hell. Again, Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 said, For all have sinned, all have missed the mark, and fall short of the glory of God, fall short of sinless perfection. And then in Romans 6, 23, he went on to say, And the wages of sin, the payment for all sin, is death. He's talking about, uh, yeah, physical death, but ultimately spiritual death, uh, separation from God for all eternity in the lake of fire or hell. Now, at this point, I can hear people shouting back, at least in their minds, no one can live a sinless life of perfection. Well, that's not true. One man did. His name is Jesus. And the Bible says if we put our faith in him, he will put his righteousness to our account so that we can go to heaven through him. You don't have to turn to these, but let me read you a couple of scriptures. I'll read it out of the NLT. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Romans 4, verse 5. But people are counted as righteous, worthy of heaven, not because of the things they do, religious works, moral works, but because of their faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who forgives sinners. Guys, here's the bad news. Most people that you are going to run into throughout your week, I'm totally confident this is not an overstatement. Most people, 95% possibly. Here's the bad news. They don't know this. The bad news is that God only lets perfect people into heaven. God only lets perfect, that's the bad news. God only lets perfect people into heaven. The good news is that anyone who receives Jesus into their heart as their Savior is pronounced perfect by God. Why? Because they are now in Christ. 
And God doesn't even see me anymore. He just sees Jesus. And that allows him to offer me the gift. Well, once I accept Christ, I've received the gift of eternal life and a place in heaven someday forever. Again, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, guys, the idea that most people are basically good and therefore God will accept them into heaven is the number one lie of the devil. Here's the deal. Heaven is only for perfect people. There's only two ways you can be perfect. Live a perfect life, although you're born with original sin, so you're kind of done before you start. I'll just throw it out there. <laughs> Live a sinless life. Or number two, you receive Jesus as your Savior who lived the sinless, perfect life. Look, John 3.16, God so loved the world. Let's personalize it. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son for you. And if you will put your faith in Jesus and receive him as your Savior, you will not have to perish in hell forever. You'll have everlasting life. Let me just say it one more time, and I'll bring this to a close. Because some people are so hung up on this works righteousness mentality. I mean, it's their whole life, especially if they're some of the Catholics that I knew who went to Mass every single day of the week very zealous for the faith and they are really hung up on and it's not just catholics but a lot of folks are really hung up on this idea that if you're good god will bless you and love you and someday give you heaven but some people are so hung up on this that they don't realize it's hard to get through to them that yeah okay some people are obviously living better lives than others no doubt about it but that doesn't make them good. Because to be good in God's eyes means to be morally perfect. So you could be better than me, but you're not as good as Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus was the only human being that was truly good. Why? Because he was the only human being that was and is God. God who came down, right? John opened his, his uh, gospel. In the beginning was the word, a title for Christ. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation. Jesus Christ was born sinless. He didn't have an earthly father. God the father was his father. By bypassing a human father, he bypassed original sin. Because sin, original sin, is passed down from the father to the children. In Adam all die, not in Eve. In Adam all die. Jesus Christ had no earthly father. He was born sinless, and then he lived a sinless life. And that's why he could die for sinners. Guilty folks can't die for guilty folks. It would take the innocent dying for the guilty. That's the gospel. And that was, God wove that throughout the, his entire word, Old and New Testament. When Jesus came at his first coming, he didn't come to judge the world and send people to hell. That's coming, at his second coming. When he came the first time, he entered the world on a search and rescue mission to rescue lost sinners. He said that in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The whole purpose of Jesus coming to the earth 
the whole reason he died and rose again was not to take good people to heaven. It was not even to make bad people good and take them to heaven. It was to make dead people alive. And that requires a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. It's not anything we could ever do in our own strength. But listen to me now, and I'll end this point. God won't accept those into heaven who think they're good enough to get there. That's where the devil is so successful with this lie. Oh, you're a good person. You're a good person. Everyone gets a trophy. There's no winners and losers. Everyone's a winner because you're all good. You hear that enough times, you really think. You're good enough to get into heaven. Not perfect, but good enough. And what does that do? That puts pride in your heart that you cling to your whole life. You die in your sins. You go to hell. He has got you, he has got you to go to hell by telling you you're good, you're good enough to get to heaven. Only those who know they're sinners. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. But the Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith not of yourself it's a gift of god not the result of your good works lest any should stand in heaven before god and boast they belong there all right those are the top 10 lies of the devil but there are some other lies that didn't make the top 10 list but deserve special mention all right i'm not going to explain these much we're not our time is almost gone. And guys, you could add to this hundreds, hundreds, maybe thousands. I even Googled this because God gave me this top 10 lies of the devil. And I thought, maybe I'm missing some stuff. I'll Google, see if anybody else had that idea. All kinds of pastors. Top five lies of the devil, the most effective lies of the devil. It was all over the internet. So I started to pull up some of these messages, and I began to make a list. A lot of them were the stuff that we had, that we've talked about. Uh, some of them I never thought about, uh, and so on. I took up a few of them. You can Google it yourself and check it out, okay? So this is not an exhaustive list, and this is not in any particular order, all right? I'll just throw them out to you. These are all lies of the devil. First of all, the Bible was written a long time ago, and so it's not relevant for today. Well, you can check out Psalm 119, verse 89, which tells us the word of God is timeless. It's eternal. I don't need God. I know what's best for my life. How's that working out for you? <laughs> you know, everyone thinks that until they crash and burn. How long is it going to take you to crash and burn and get, you, get your head on right? You definitely need God. I've told you the story about Ernest Hemingway, the famous author. He was a man's man. He was a hunter. He was a brawler, a drinker, a womanizer, very successful guy. Well, apparently he had some Christians that he knew that were always trying to witness to him about how much he needed Jesus, how much he needed God in his life. And he would laugh at them. He'd mock them. He was at the top of his game, right? I mean, just wealth and success and all that he didn't need jesus he didn't need god well a few years later he crashed i don't know the details but he crashed 
became so depressed he took his favorite shotgun, stuck it in his mouth, and pulled the trigger. Look, you might be riding high today, but you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And God loves you so much that he will allow adversity and pain in your life right now to teach you you need him. If God's got to subject you to a little hell on earth to give you eternal heaven someday, it's worth it in his eyes. Why is God being mean to me? He's not being mean to you. He loves you. You're just so hard-headed and dull of hearing that you're not listening to the voice of God. Again, C.S. Lewis, he whispers in our pleasures and shouts in our pain. Sometimes he's got to really shout through adversity to get our attention because he loves us. And he wants to save us and bring us into his kingdom forever. Another lie of the devil. Oh, you've really blown it this time. Don't even think of going to God. Can I just say this? If you have really blown it this time, you better run to God. And I'll tell you this, his arms are wide open. His arms are wide open. Just like the prodigal who returned, right? After squandering his inheritance. And basically telling his father, Dad, I kind of wish you were dead so I could have my money and I could really live my life. That didn't go so well. He crashed and burned. He came back to his father. What did the father do? Disown him? Opened his arms and received him. God loves you. I don't care what you've done. He is wanting you to come to him. Another lie. God didn't create the universe. It was the Big Bang. That's a big one. It's a big lie. And by the way, the Big Bang is real. It didn't happen at the beginning, but it happens at the end. When God will release his hands and the earth the universe will be consumed with a great noise, a big bang, you know, and everything will be vaporized. I'll let you read 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Peter 3, uh, around verse 10. But look, we, we dealt with this in some detail in our Roman study. So if you want to go online, it was a three-part study. I think it was parts 14, 15, and 16 uh, out of Romans 1, verses 19 to 20. So if you want to get in, we really went into this, that if you take the creation model and the evolutionary model, the creation model has a lot more evidence for its reality than evolutionary model. All right, I'll let you deal with that on your own. Here's another lie the devil foists on people. God doesn't want to hear from you anymore, not after you've ignored him for so long. Maybe you were a Christian. Maybe you're walking with God for a, for a good while. And then you kind of walked away for some reason. Maybe God didn't come through for you. Maybe you lost a loved one. I, maybe you found your spouse was cheating on you. I don't know. Maybe a child got sick. Whatever it is, and it drove you away from God. And it's been years now. But God's been working. And all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, I would really love to get back to church. I would really love to get back to the Lord, but it's been so many years. I don't know if I have the energy to walk back those million miles if you ever decide you're going to turn around repent and to start make your way back to god i guarantee you the instant you turn around you'll realize jesus christ was right there he's been walking right behind you the whole way because he said when you receive me we enter into a marriage with each other and marriage is a commitment and you know what I take that commitment seriously. You want to walk away from me, you go right ahead. 
I'll never walk away. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So at any time you turn around and say, God, I want to get my life. Jesus right there with his arms open. All right, let's pick it up where we left off. Here's another one. If you're not being blessed and your prayers aren't being answered, you're not right with God and he's angry with you. Again, this reminds me of the book of Job, who went through the worst adversity of his life, yet God wasn't angry with him. God loved him. Sometimes we can be walking with God like a Jeremiah and find ourselves going through the worst trials of our lives. And sometimes when you're really not walking with God, he continues to bless you. Why? Because the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So you got to be careful. Okay, you got to be careful. A lot of Christians have this concept of God almost like they're talking about Hinduism and karma. Karma is the Hindu law of cause and effect. Whatever you do in this life will be done to you in the next life. So you murder somebody in this life, when you come back again, somebody's got to murder you. Or if you're really nice to people in this life, when you come back, people will be nice to you. That's a cause and effect thing. It's like walking over to a light switch, flipping it up, and the lights come on. God doesn't work that way. He's sovereign. Sometimes he allows the righteous to go through very difficult times. Sometimes he blesses sinners because he wants to bring them to him. Either way, God's sovereign. And just because you're going through a difficult time right now doesn't mean he's forsaken you, he doesn't love you, and is not really answering your prayers. Often God is working. Habakkuk said, Lord, I don't get it. We're praying and praying and praying. You're not even listening. I'm tired of praying. God says, Habakkuk, calm down. I'm working. In fact, if you knew what I was up to, you wouldn't believe it for the magnitude. I'm working. Your prayers are not going up to the ceiling and bouncing off. God is collecting him, Revelation 5, putting them in his golden bowls in heaven for keepsakes. He loves that time with us. And in his time, for everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. The time will come. Here's another one. You don't matter to God devil tells me, you don't matter to God. Why would you matter to God? Can I just say this? Jesus Christ didn't die for people who didn't matter to him. He died for people he was crazy in love with. Another one, if I'm not happy, then God must not love me. I think we've already answered that. First of all, folks, happiness is a decision you make. You decide whether you're going to be happy or not. Paul said, I've learned Whatever state I find myself, I'm content, I'm happy. Full stomach, empty stomach, whatever. So if you're not happy, it's not that God doesn't love you. It's that you are choosing to be unhappy because of whatever it is that you haven't achieved or experienced or whatever. Here's one. Satan tells people, and they buy into it, and they feel... I'm the only one that struggles with blank. And therefore, nobody understands me. Nobody can help me. I'm the only one going through this. So why bother? Nobody has any answers. And therefore, why don't I just kill myself? Boy, this is big with the a young generation today. First of all, Peter said, 
As Christians, if you feel that way, understand your brethren around the world, they're going through the same thing. And Jesus became one of us to experience what we experience. He wasn't always tempted as we are, the Bible said, yet he never sinned. He understands what it is to be tempted. He understands pain. He understands heartache and rejection and betrayal. He went through all of that during his earthly life. And God knows exactly what you're going through. And God is not indifferent. God is working. Draw close to him. He'll draw close to you, right? James two, verse, James 4, I think verse 2. Give you just a few more real quickly. Here's another one. Um, again, I have to be perfect for God to love me. We looked at that. Being a Christian means never sinning again. And if I do sin, it proves I'm not saved. That is absolutely untrue. The only time we'll ever be perfect is when the rapture happens and we receive our new bodies. Until then, we are living in fallen bodies. And you know what? It's not easy. Paul said, you know, the things I want to do, I don't always do. The things I don't want to do, those things I do. Wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Well, I thank my Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's going to do it. When the trumpet sounds, the angel shouts, and we hear Jesus say, come up here in the rapture, we will jettison this earthly body, and we will never know anymore pain, heartache, depression, fear, or death, right? Here's one. I don't need Christian friends. I can do it on my own. Well, the Bible says, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 5, don't ever forsake the fellowship of God's people because we need, need each other. I don't need, I don't need anybody. I can, I, I don't need Christian friends. I can make it on my own. You know what? The devil has to first isolate you from the body of Christ before he can really work on you. Don't buy into that. If you're feeling kind of weak and like, you need to run to church. So we can pray for you and, and encourage you and so on. Here's one. I'll give you two more. The devil tells people, and they buy into it, it's all about me. I have to love myself. And here we are in a world full of self-lovers. Even as Paul said, 2 Peter, excuse me, Paul said in 2 Peter, wow. I think my, blo I think my blood sugar is dropping. Uh, where... Uh, Paul said 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5. He gives the characteristics that will, uh, you know, people will be characterized by all these things in the last days. And to lead the list, he says, and men will be lovers of self. Here we are. We are living in the world you're looking at, our nation in particular, is a living testimony to how much people are loving themselves and not anybody else. And here's one more. I think we've already really touched on it. If you love God, you don't need to go to church. You know? I don't need... I've even saw... Uh, a pop, it was popular a few years ago, the statement, uh, I love Jesus, I just hate the church. Yeah. Well, there's, there's bad churches out there. They've been hurt. They've gone to churches where... You know, the pastor, they trusted this guy, and then he, you know, comes out, he was having an affair or whatever, uh, embezzling money. They've been hurt in 
churches. So they have written the church off. That's a big mistake. Churches are not perfect. You find the best church you can find and get in there and be a blessing. But you absolutely need to go to church. Absolutely, because here's what the saints are. Here's what the people of God are. We need each other. Again, we can't do it by ourselves. All right, let me just end with a couple of scriptures. Um, Satan's lies. How do we have victory over Satan's lies? Well, you got to know God's truth really well. Okay, John 8, 31 and 2, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free from Satan's lies. You got to know the truth. And here's, let me just say this to you. The more you draw close to God and the more you grow in your walk, in your understanding of the word, let me just tell you this. The devil is so, he's brilliant. He moderates his lies so that they become more sophisticated. You're too, you're too grown up now in the Lord to fall for the blatant ones. So what does he do? He works on you as a more mature Christian in such a way that the lies become more plausible. They become, you know, very, very subtle. Be careful. That's the time you need to know the word of God even more, even more give you one last one this was the prayer jesus prayed to his father the night before he went to the cross he was he was burdened for his disciples he had us in mind i don't pray for them only father but for all those you're going to give me throughout the history of the world that's us folks jesus prayed for us the night before he went to the cross here's what he said thinking about the warfare we were going to have in this world, as he was about to leave, go back to the Father, turn the work of the kingdom over to us, the Great Commission, and what we were going to... Now the devil is going to unload his full fury at the church. Here's what Jesus prayed. John 17, verses 14 to 17. Father, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world because they have a mission here, but to keep them safe from the evil one, from the devil. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Guys, more than any other time in our lifetimes, and I believe that in the history of our nation, we have got to get into the word. We have got to be people of the word. We have got to not give it lip service. We have to read it and study it and meditate on it and yes, even memorize it because we need it. If the day ever comes when they confiscate all our Bibles, they'll never be able to touch what you've hidden in your heart and that will always be there. So may God give us grace that we know the truth very, very well because then Satan won't be able to deceive us with his lies. Amen. Father, we thank you for our study. We thank you for pulling the curtain back on some of the lies the devil tries to deceive us with. And we ask you, Lord, to keep giving us a voracious hunger for your word, for your truth, that we might always be on guard. We might always be victorious against the devil's lies. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We ask you to keep uh, blessing our studies in Philippians. 
We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.